White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Red Echo, Grand Slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. With me is Chris Tannehill. Chris, how are you doing? I was going to say, how are you doing this evening? But I don't know when you're listening to these things. <laughs> well, they're, they're listening on Monday afternoon. So right now you and I are, are at work together. And uh, we're, we're doing all right. We're getting ready for Monday Night Football. So we're going to be very tired tonight. That's how I, 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 that's how I can tell you officially how I'm doing at the moment that you guys are listening to this podcast. I'm like <laughs> saying, oh, great. I'll be up till midnight tonight. Great. And I got homeschooling uh, on Tuesday morning. So, yeah. I'm doing- Why the fucking bears losing <laughs> to the Vikings? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, it is it is what it is, as they say. So uh, this is Mailbag Monday, uh, getting it to you a little bit later than normal, and we figured we'd give you guys a little uh, Sunday episode with uh, some news in White Sox world. So here's your mailbag a little later than normal, but your mailbag right on time nonetheless. And that brings us to episode 73 tonight. And again, only one man wore 73 for the White Sox, do you, do you know who it is? I know you know who it is, but uh, would you, would you have known had I not told you? I before? would not have known because <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember him in that in this number. Okay, what number do you remember him in? I'm trying to remember the other one you wore. I want to want to say 18, but that might be wrong because he might have been same time as Bevington. But I definitely don't remember Tony Phillips in this number. Maybe I didn't really pay attention that much, and this was the only number he's had as the White Sox. Uh, no, for so Tony, so I oh, said Tony Larusa. Good God! Uh, so Tony Phillips wore number seventy-three for the White Sox back in uh, nineteen ninety-seven, and uh, in nineteen ninety-six, however, he uh, he became uh, infamous for one incident that happened in Milwaukee. And uh, who of us uh, doesn't have an incident in Milwaukee that we became infamous for? This is from a story that Paul Sullivan repurposed. Uh, in the in the spring without sports here <laughs> in the Tribune, uh, he he brought back this article from May fifteenth of nineteen ninety six. Says this from Paul Sullivan. Sully. First came the fog, a thick shroud that hovered over the field at County Stadium at the start of the White Sox Brewers game, forcing a one hour fifty minute rain delay in the first inning. I'm pretty sure we worked that game <laughs> with a nearly two hour delay in the first inning. Uh, when the game resumed, the Sox put a pounding on a Brewers pitching staff, knocking out 21 hits in a 20 to eight win that included a home run and six RBIs from Frank Thomas. Decent. Uh, by the end of a long night, only about 250 fans remained from an announced crowd of 8,733. The White Sox beat writers filed down the ramps afterward toward the cramped visitors clubhouse and waited nearly a half hour to be allowed inside. With deadlines approaching, we got a few quick quotes from Sox manager Terry Bevington, Thomas and Danny Tartable and Dave Martinez before heading back to the press box to write our stories. On the way up the ramp, though, we ran into Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporter Tom Houdricourt, who matter-of-factly asked, how about Tony Phillips? What, Tony Phillips? 
Hodgecourt informed us that Phillips had knocked out a fan outside the left field bleachers and was taken into custody by the police. We made a beeline back to the Sox clubhouse and Bevington stonewalled us, claiming he had no information and would not comment. A player confirmed the story off the record, and the Associated Press reported that Phillips was taken in for questioning by sheriff's deputies. We had enough information to get a few paragraphs into our final print editions. Quote, the Sox show they have the punch, the Tribune's headline read. It turned out that Phillips was heckled by a fan in the outfield, allegedly making disparaging remarks about his mother. After listening to it for a few innings, Phillips took matters into his own hands and removed himself from the game after the top of the sixth inning to confront the fan. So think about that, folks. Tony Phillips takes himself out of the game to go whoop a fan's ass. The 90s was a thing, man. If you guys didn't live through it, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Phillips told a couple of players about his plan as he left the dugout. He's going past Bevington and says, you need another left fielder, former Sox third baseman Robin Ventura recently recalled. (laughs) (laughs) I followed him up to the clubhouse, and by the time I got there, he had his clothes on and his leather jacket and was going out to the concourse. I was like, what are you doing? Ventura didn't want to go into the concourse while in uniform and asked the strength coach, Steve Odgers, to follow Phillips and stop him from getting into trouble. By that time, it was too late, Robin Ventura said. He already took off. Phillips stood under the left field stands and called out to the 23-year-old Wisconsin man, motioning for him to come down to talk. Surprisingly, the fan complied. After a brief discussion, the fan shoved Phillips and promptly was clocked twice. When I later interviewed the fan, Chris Havorka of Racine, Wisconsin, and asked why he walked down to meet Phillips, who obviously was angry, he replied, Well, I didn't think he was going to hit me. I thought he'd just yell at me. But he gets in my face and says, you're talking a lot for a fat white boy. (laughs) I said, you should be used to heckling. He clobbered me twice. I hit the ground and left. (laughs) Phillips was taken to the police station on a misdemeanor battery charge and released. Sox beat writers met with Bevington in the dugout the following afternoon, and he continued to stonewall us about the incident. I facetiously asked Bevington if he was going to let us into the clubhouse after the game, as mandated by MLB rules, Paul Sullivan writes. I'll do what I want, he barked. Get this in your thick bleeping skull, Sullivan. I'm not the bleeping doorman. (laughs) That abruptly ended the press briefing. After Bevington stormed off, and listen to this line by Ozzy, always with a great line, shortstop Ozzy Guillen said, you should have told him, well, Bev, you should be the doorman. When he finally spoke with the media, Phillips didn't deny the story, but said he was upset over criticism in the media for punching a fan he felt went over the line. How can someone who has never met me make a judgment on me without knowing what I've done the last 14 years, Phillips asked. So there there you have it. Uh, The story goes on like this. But that is the time a White Sox player, Tony Phillips, left in the middle of a game to beat up a fan in Milwaukee. Boy, oh boy. The days before those social media. Yeah, those were the good old days, as we like to call them. <laughs> when, when a player could go whoop a fan's ass uh, with, with just minimal repercussions. Uh, good times, good old days. But yeah, yeah, I remember Tony Phillips, the pretty decent White Sox. I mean, got on base a bunch. He like, oh. either walked or got hit by the pitch. And just was an agitator. Like he, he seemed like he was under everybody's skin, and he was always pissed, which is I'm fine with. He, I kind of at the time like equated him with uh, Mad Max of the Houston Rockets. He's like, man, he's just always mad. Yeah, Vernon Maxwell. And, yeah, yeah, he's just always uh, mad, and he's going in the stands and beating fans up and shit. So 
I was fine with Tony Phillips in the White Sox. I was uh, later in his career where he wasn't as productive, but I think he had a pretty good season there and then uh, might have been another season with the White Sox, and that was about it. Absolutely. So uh, Tony, uh, God, Tony Phillips, I almost did it again. He eventually, I don't know if he was traded to the Angels, uh, we'll never know, but he winds up, uh, winds up in Anaheim in 1997 and uh, passed away, I believe, in 2016. So yeah, that's one of the things that you think of when you think of Tony Phillips. Just a, an amazing story and, and a great piece there by Paul Sullivan uh, and great quotes there from Robin. Like what guy, what, what you, there's no one else better to get a quote from about an incident like that than Robin Ventura, just the dry wit. You know, I would I would have paid anything to be in the room to see the look on Robin's face or in the in the the the, the rile after afterwards. But yeah, good shit right there. But uh, it's Mailbag Monday today on Locked On White Sox, and we are brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever, and now somehow the improved Built Bar is even delicious. Er, of course, there's 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut varieties. But the six new flavors that Built Bar has to offer, oh my gosh, folks, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. But don't worry, they still have the 12 original flavors that you know and love so much. My favorite, the German chocolate, you guys know that, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, orange, double chocolate, toffee almond, coconut, peanut butter brownie. Built Bars are delicious because they are always covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and oh so easy to chew. And they're great if you're a health-conscious person on the go. They're good for losing or maintaining weight while still indulging in a delicious treat. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great if you're doing the keto diet. For example, Cherry Barcia, one of the new flavors, 17 grams of protein. Wow, 130 calories only and just 4 grams of sugar and only 4 grams of net carbs. And right now... You can get a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. So if you go to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. All right, Herbie, shall we open the bag? Let's do it. Got a lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. And we love email, too. We love your emails oh so much. How can they email us at Lockdown White Sox, Hermie? You email us by, sorry, send an email to LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. That is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Questions, comments, whatever you want to send. We've had some good ones this week. We'll read them all. Not all will make this show. So I'm ready for this e- for these uh, Locked On Socks mailbag monday edition mm. absolutely and we'll see if this gets us enough content for a talk to us tuesday we'll have to wait and see mm. but sometimes people just like to vent to the lockdown white Sox email which is more than fine with me you know we all need a place to vent in these times and especially if you're a white Sox fan so uh we're, we're leading off tonight with harrison harrison says hi guys huge fan of the show and i appreciate you guys are an actual voice of the fans in good times and in bad my question for the mailbag is this what are we supposed to do as fans of this organization? Jerry clearly has zero regard for any of us. Do we cancel our season tickets? Do we continue complaining on Twitter? Or should we just turn the other cheek and keep cheering for the team? I really struggle to maintain excitement for a team that just spits in our faces year in and year out. I hate to complain too much because this team is finally exciting to watch, but I really want to know what you guys think we should be doing because being a Sox fan is just getting ridiculous. Thank you and keep doing great things. Thank you, Harrison, for checking in. This is something we kind of addressed a couple weeks back. But how has your opinion evolved, if at all, about how do you approach this team, supporting this team as a fan, but also showing your displeasure with how the organization is being run, at least by one guy in the organization? 
Yeah, as we said back then, I mean, do not support them with uh, physical money. Um, like season tickets, no. If you don't want to support them on game day, don't buy them from the stadium or the website. I said I'm going to buy it from a secondary market. So a person has already purchased a ticket, so the money's already going to them. This way you can go and see your team and you're not punishing the players on the team, but also you are not physically giving money to Jerry Reinsdorf. Um, and then also I think you have to somehow make met one of the people at the White Sox know, send a letter, email, phone call, whatever. Just let them know that this is not going to be st- stood for. If they just think that people are fine with it and it's just a couple tr- Twitter trolls who are uh, making noise, they'll probably just uh, poo-poo it and just ignore it. But if they actually get correspondence, letters, co- uh, conversations on the phone, no need to be uh, anything but cordial on these conversations or when you're writing the White Sox. Make sure your point is across, but don't say it in a nasty way. And that's how I would think I'm going to support or support a boycott of the White Sox. And when you're at the ballpark, don't be paying for parking or concessions either. That also goes into Jerry's uh, pocket. So I would do those things. They're little things that may not even have a ripple in his psyche or his day. And it might not even care, but at least you're doing something where you're not, you know, giving him money, but also not, you know, boycotting the team because they need support. Yeah, you're you're in a tough spot here as a fan, and I, and I think it's probably not too late to to threaten pulling out of your season tickets. I would think that you have not had to make a deposit yet. I know the Bears uh, very early on in, in COVID, you know, said that they they sent a letter out to fans saying they didn't have to put their deposit down on season tickets. So I don't think you have to pay for that. So it's a perfect opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not going to re-up this year because of this. And, you know, I, I don't think you'd be in the risk, you know, if you've had your seats for many years in your family, I know that that's sentimental to you and maybe you could find another way to, to voice your displeasure. But I don't know how much they're counting on in-game attendance in 2021. So I don't even know if that would hurt the team as, as much as you'd like. So you're kind of in a tough spot here as a fan. All I would say is, you know, write letters uh, call your 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 ticket agent and tell them why you're thinking about not re-signing. Um, go after sponsors. Tell sponsors why you know you're you're thinking of uh, of of not returning to the ballpark. You know if you feel like the the DUIs are a red flag to you, and if you feel strongly about that, yeah, you have to uh, attack these organizations in the pocketbook. Um, but still, it's a tough spot because this is a team that's finally on the cusp of of doing well. I, I would say. It will try to wait it out and see if they fulfill their obligation to you as a fan to make the team better first and foremost. And maybe it'll be a lot easier to swallow going forward. But yeah, man, there's, there's just a lot of things you can do. And I find myself, you know, you know, I, I wear a socks hat practically every day, but not the past, you know, week I haven't. Not after that that DUI news came out, I go right past that White Sox hat and go for something else. Like it's just it's a subtle thing, but I have to feel like the you know that there's many of us that feel the same way. I know you just got that nice new White Sox winter coat and that your girlfriend got you. You know, I've, I imagine you have mixed feelings looking at that right now. Yeah, I mean, I wore it today. It was excellent. It was uh, perfect. <laughs> cold out, the yeah. wind was howling, and I was like, man, I don't even feel any of this. It's all good. All good. It just keeps you warm in the right places yeah so you know it but it's it's tough though like you know 
hopefully they'll they'll make some additions and and you can sort of compartmentalize you know because there's there's nothing you can do as one person out there if you're listening but uh, hopefully the team will be better and you won't have to give up your tickets and you can sort of just make peace with it and hopefully the white Sox they do the right thing in this situation and we don't have to have uh these these confusing ideals as as a fan and you knew we would get to this point the cubs had it with the roldis chapman in 2016 but th- that was a team that was you know built to already built to win a world series and then they had a roldis chapman to put them over the top and he had just domestic abuse issues and it was certainly it muddied the waters for cubs fans and uh, but ultimately that world series was was just as sweet and i'm not saying it was it was a right thing or wrong thing and i know it's very complicated for a lot of people and you know, when, when I see the, the Cubs World Series box score uh, in my basement uh, that, that Pat Hughes signed, you know, I always look at it every day. Winning pitcher, Roldis Chapman, you know, so that's going to be on there forever. So it's one of those weird things you, you still can't run away from, you know, but you try to take the good with the bad, I guess. Uh, so thanks, Harrison, for checking in. We're still trying to figure it out, I guess, as the team evolves into the offseason. And uh, I think we'll all be, you know, a little more on board with it if Trevor Bauer or George Springer is in a White Sox uniform come opening day. So thank you, Harrison, for reaching out, leading us off here on Mailbag Monday. Next up here, we got John in Crown Point, Indiana. John says this, hey, guys, I can't I can't stop obsessing over the TLR, Tony the Russa, garbage. <laughs> My emotions have been a wreck from his initial hiring through the election and the embarrassing aftermath and then right into the latest LaRusa news. In order to take my mind off of this, I've been watching episodes of Hot Ones on YouTube. The Gordon Ramsay yes. and Kean Peel ones are comedic genius, by the way. So to lighten the mood, I wondered which of you would fare better in a progressive hot sauce challenge. Um, also, uh, uh, John notes that the host of Hot Ones says he is a White Sox fan. I 100% know his name. Okay. I played softball with this guy. Oh. It, Sh- Sean Evans. Yeah. Name. Okay. Where yeah. where, did you, where did you play softball with him? In one of the leagues well, they used to be in? or just not- Yeah. Um, it was early when – this is the weird story. So the first time I met Shane Reardon was when I started this softball team with Adam Harris and Dennis Gambino. And I think Connor was on the team too. Uh, and a couple other people. So uh, on – couple Sundays we would be I think Saturdays or Sundays we'd be short a player or two so Adam Harris would call his people out and one of the people was Sean Evans he had went to Illinois with him I think Sean had grown up in the uh, northwest side or either the suburbs or northwest side one of the two and so yeah he's big time White Sox fan and he was pretty good at softball too he's a good athlete so that's how I met him that's how I met Shane one of the times I was shorter than players I sent out a uh a message and a guy named Steven came out who is still our friends to this day. And then Shane came out. That's the first time I ever met Shane. He was kind of like understated and letting the game come to him. He wasn't the Shane that we know of today. He was just very, very quiet. It was weird as hell to meet the Shane after I came back from San Diego. I was like, I've met you before and you were not very talkative. I guess he found his personality. Yeah, that that's pretty cool. Mark that as a guy that I would like to get on the show and, and talk about the White Sox. Someone that you don't have to reach out uh, through baseball teams PR to get through. You don't have to jump through a lot of hoops. But yeah, I, I would love to to get the uh, inside story of his White Sox uh, fan history. Uh, but the the question remains: Which one of us would do better in uh, in a hot one style competition? Um, let's see. I am not a guy who can take heat that well. I can, you know. 
Sriracha is delicious to me. You know, go a level a little higher than that. And then I'm like, all right, I'm cool. Samba Olik, I've had a couple times, and it's good hot flavor. But once it gets too hot and it's just like dumb, I'm out. And I wouldn't go past like round four or five with their own special sauce where they do the hot ones in the middle. I probably even get to that one. It sounds way too hot for me. So I would say, I mean, even though you're a Caucasian man, Caucasian, Caucasian man, man. <laughs> Shout out to Pap- um, Pappy I would guy. say it would be you. I would uh, I be an upset. I would agree. Um, it's here's the funny thing. So my wife's Guatemalan. She's 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 Latin, but she doesn't like hot spicy foods. Um, she's always I can't believe like that you like spicy foods this much. I do. I really enjoy spicy foods. Not like to a competition level. Like I've never had like the closest I've had is Jay Zawaski, our our dear friend. He had ghost peppers growing in his garden mm. uh, in Homewood, and he brought. He brought me a ghost pepper from his garden, and I made some chili with it. Uh, that was my first time cooking with an actual uh, chili pepper of any sort. Usually, I just like do like the store made chili mix, and you don't have to deal with it. But yeah, it was it was pretty hot. Um, but I enjoyed the smokiness to it. It wasn't over the top or anything. But I've I've but I've never had anything like drenched in ghost pepper sauce or anything extreme. Like I was always able to do something to balance out the heat of the ghost pepper, like, you know, put the sour cream in the chili or whatever, you know what I mean? So, but I do enjoy hot things. So like, if you don't think you can, you can handle it. I, I, I would have to just say, I probably could handle it a little better, but I don't enjoy it. I don't, I don't get the whole, let's eat something. So it's unpleasurable and, 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 and like a battle to eat it. Like, I don't see, that's not enjoying food to me. You know what I mean? I like, I like stuff with flavor that you can enjoy, but like just, but just making your taste buds suffer. Like I don't get the, the thrill in that, but yeah, I could probably take it up to a certain uh, level, probably the same level as, as you could in the progressive hot one style. But yeah, I think I would do okay, you know, but I'm, yeah. I would just, I'd get it. My problem is I'd get it on, on my fingertips and then I'd get it like in my eye or some shit. Like I've seen that happen with man versus food. I think like he always wears the gloves and shit like that. Like I would definitely mess up and get it somewhere. I shouldn't get it. And then it would be over for me. I remember going to Buffalo wild wings one time and I don't know what the highest level back in the day was, but I was like four levels down from that. So I was like, I'm safe. I'm good. I remember eating like one and I was like, yeah, it's hot, but it's fine. But like progressively, like I got to the fourth one and it was just on fire. My whole mouth, my throat, everything. And I couldn't finish it. You know, I had 10 wings. I only finished four of those wings. You know, for me, that's a huge upset because 10 itself sometimes won't suffice. But I was like, I can't eat because my mouth is on fire. I'm thinking other thoughts. It's not good. And I wasn't even at a real, real hot level. So I, I felt like man, I cannot handle spice. I'm not that guy that I thought I was. And my roommate at the time, Thomas, was at whatever the hottest level was. And he's like, yeah, it was good. Good flavor. I was like, oh, calm down, man. <laughs> how, can you, how can you enjoy that when your mouth's on fire? Yeah, that, I, I, I would tend to agree on that. But, yeah, so thanks, John and Crown Point, for reaching out. Appreciate the email. Next one coming up from our guy, Mike Victor. Always enjoy hearing from Mike. Uh, Mike! Yeah, exactly. Uh with the breaking news, there's more about Tony LaRusso's second DUI. I can't help but think Reinsdorf is going out with a bang. With that being said, when Reinsdorf does pass away, who would you like to see become new owner? Okay, so Mike wants to kill Jerry Reinsdorf. Uh, I read somewhere that the family would would have to sell the team. I don't know the logistics of that. 
Um, but who would we like to see replace Jerry Reinsdorf? Or not replace, but who would – let's just say this. Who would we like to see be the next owner of the White Sox? Uh, Mike mentions Mark Cuban being in the mix when he was uh, in the running to, to own the Cubs. He's a Pittsburgh guy, so I know he's got some love there. Uh, he mentioned Shad Khan possibly. Who would you like to see uh, run the Sox, Herbie? Well, I would love for Mark Cuban to get Jerry Reinsdorf's team after what Jerry Reinsdorf did to Mark Cuban on the baseball front with the Cubs. So uh, I would love to see that, uh, have a guy who I all times I see Mark Cuban, he's pretty upstanding guy. And for a billionaire, that's very hard to find. Um, the guy's caring about players and allows his team to do things um, that are necessary for the team to win. He doesn't seem like he's that intrusive on the team, while he could be. He's not like Jerry Jones, who's the GM and de facto like uh, owner. He is the owner, but he's like the GM. And I know his son has the actual title, but I mean, sure, Jerry's doing all the picking. So if Mark Cuban were to come here and buy the team, I think we would get upgrades. We would give a different stadium in the city of Chicago, and he would let his baseball people do whatever baseball things need to be done and put a lot of money into this team to make them a first-class, first-rate team that they should be. Yeah, man, I, I love Mark Cuban, too. Like, I, you know, I got a chance to talk to him when he was on the score uh, early on in in, uh, in the in the quarantine days we called it when uh, the when we, we had the time without sports and we got him on the show to talk about um, uh, who was it uh, that was in in the rumor mill for being the the next Bulls GM before Karnaschovas got the gig uh, it was Michael Finley uh, was mm-hmm. a guy that people talked about being the next possible GM for the for the Bulls so we got him on in that lens. And he was awesome. He would talk to us for like 20, 25 minutes, and he was really cool and, you know, just a, just a warm guy and a guy who has a lot of sense, like you said, for a billionaire. He recently uh, was criticized last week on Twitter, you know, after the election, was saying instead of donating to these campaigns, uh, you know, left or right, why don't you donate or you spend time at a soup kitchen and actually – uh, do some things that actually have you know tangible real results in real time and people lashed out at him for that saying politicians are doing things and blah 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 but it's a guy who just a, 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 a simple way of thinking a simple way of looking at things um, just it's it's just basic logic and he runs his his team with with a similar mindset like you treat people well and they'll play hard for you. And if they're happy, they'll play. They'll play better for you. So I, I always liked him. And I know he was still was kicking around the idea. He said he he told us that he would love to be an owner still someday in baseball. You know, but he's a Pittsburgh guy. Um, so I think his love would be there. But yeah, to to come in and and usurp Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, you know, and and come in and, and buy his team from him. I don't know if it'll ever happen. You know, I think Jerry. You know, he he's a man that holds grudges. Uh, and Amanda doesn't forget, obviously, as Tony La Russa is their current manager. So I don't know if that would ever happen. But, yeah, I think we're, we're locked up right there. I think Mark Cuban would, would, uh, would be the dream owner for a team. Just a guy that you wouldn't have. Like, there's not many billionaires. So, you're like, you know what, I wouldn't mind this guy representing me. And this guy doesn't offend me every time he opens his mouth. You know what I mean? So, But, uh, yeah, that certainly would be interesting. But thanks, Mike, for checking in as always. All right. Next one we have here is from Nick. 
And get ready, folks. It's another Tony LaRusso email. <laughs> I can't wait till we stop answering these emails. But a lot of people are just parsing through all this stuff here uh, as we go. So Nick says this, and Nick said a lot of uh great things in his email and I won't read them here but it was very kind to us and I appreciate it Nick and he said in 2020 he sort of reconnected with his dad via the White Sox because his dad follows the White Sox and he finally checked in with the Sox for the first time this year since they were good so he had a lot of, of positive memories of, of 2020 uh, with, with his dad uh, watching a White Sox game so was, take whatever positive moments you can get here in this crazy year it's good to but hear. absolutely so thank you Nick for the kind words and he goes on to say this about Tony LaRusa I've noticed this Tony LaRusso disaster is primar primarily focused on a few key issues. One, his age and style potentially clashing with the current Sox culture. Two, his previous comments on kneeling that were at best racially ignorant and at worst flat-out racist, in which were Occam's razoring this pretty seems likely given his demographic of being an ancient, wealthy, privileged white guy who thinks he's above the law. Not a stretch to imagine he thinks above minorities, too. Uh, third, the fact that Reinsdorf went behind Rick Hahn's back for the hire. Fourth, his nudist, new, his nudist DUI. That would be a story. I, th I think we would see the, <laughs> the dash cam footage of that if it was a nudist DUI. No, folks, his newest DUI. Um, so what I'm wondering is this. Where's all the discussion about his cheating scandal? The sole argument made against hiring Hinch was that he's a cheater and we want our team to have integrity and be above reproach. I've seen discussions from plenty of people who originally considered the silver lining of the LaRusa hiring to be avoiding the stigma of the cheater stench. But from what I've read, LaRusa did cheat the last time he was managing the Sox with some scoreboard light toggling shenanigans to tip players off to the opposing team's signs. LaRusa denies this, of course, but his word is currently worth about as much as Reinsdorf flavorability, so I'm not sure I'd trust him over Jack McDowell, who, as far as I can tell, is the originator of the allegations. Yes, I believe that's true. So what's the deal? Is there a statute of limitations on cheating? Is it somehow not that big of a deal since it happened 40 years ago instead of three years ago? Or is it truly because there isn't enough evidence to consider the accusation credible? I'd love to hear your guys' perspective on this, even though I'm sure you want nothing more than to move on from having to constantly talk about the LaRusa debacle. Once again, my sincerest gratitude for all your hard work. Stay safe out there, boys. That's from Nick. Nick, very well thought out email, and I appreciate the kind words again. So, yeah, so we never really talked about this, but it's not only that. There was a story, you know, Jack McDowell came out and said that when he was young in his White Sox career that there was already a, a system in place now uh, where you can observe the other team's signs, but Jack McDowell never played for Tony La Russa, so there could be uh, a gap in that, and maybe it wasn't necessarily La Russa behind it, but, it, I, you know, I wouldn't put it past him. And then, of course, what Nick didn't even mention in his email is, is Tony La Russa presiding over the steroid monster Bash Brothers in Oakland. So, you know, how do you feel about that when you when you work that into the fold of when we talk about Tony La Russa's uh, body of work, so to speak? Yeah, my old thing was with A.J. Hintz. I didn't want him either, but I would have been fine with Rick doing the search and he, who he, if A.J. Hintz would be the guy, He's the guy that he was explaining in that press conference that said Ricky Renteria is fired. So I would like that's consistent with what he said. I don't like it, and I don't like being associated with the loser-ass team, but that's what that man said. I'm going to burn him on it every time I get a chance to, but at least that's his conviction. That's what he feels, and he's a baseball man, and I would have been like pissed, but that's a real baseball move. As far as Tony LaRusa, yeah. If we were doing that to avoid all that stigma of being the cheater team, 
now we're the team that allows and pretty much endorses DUI because we hired him with knowing that he had his second one. Come on now. We can't we can't be the the moral police and then have this man be the leader of that. So I just I, I'm not a fan of what Tony's done in his career, just the off the field stuff. And then, as Tani was saying, like Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire were huge steroid users. Um, and Mark McGuire later in St. Louis. I mean, there's also whispers of other players in St. Louis, but we won't get into it. But he looked the other way when he was talking about, hey, you're helping the team out. I don't care if you do illegal things. Go ahead, do your thing type of thing. So he presided over the Josh Hancock uh, thing. He wasn't there when Oscar DeVaris, I think I said that last time, Oscar DeVaris died in a drunk driving accident in his Dominican Republic uh, home. Um, But that culture had already been established in that Tony La Russa clubhouse and pertained and and kept on going through that. So um, I don't like any of it. Any of Tony La Russa's off the field stuff is always bad for me. And his on the field stuff is not good enough to look past of all the negative he brings to the table. So I'm I'm real out on this move. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you know when you're talking about cheating in baseball over the years, what people know that's always the question: What did they know, and when did they know it? You you hear uh, lawyers ask that all the time. So you know, I don't know. You know, I was around, but I wasn't an active. Uh, baseball consumer reading newspapers and listening to what journalists had to say at the time about if people knew uh i think people were pretty sure that jose canseco was cheating (laughs) at the time and then we didn't know until years later about mark mcguire uh but larusa was there as well so it's one of those things where it's like how bad do you want to win now I'll, i'll say this you know people can they'll they'll push the the envelope on what they can get away with when they know they can get away with it. Like if they know baseball is incompetent and they're and they're never going to get caught, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be the guy out there and be like, "Hey, we have to put a stop to this if your team is winning." You know, it's it's tough to argue in the moment when you're filling up the stadium and you're you're giving people jobs and and everything's going well and your team's winning and you're making a lot of people happy. It's tough to argue that you'd step in and and put a stop to it. Like I'm thinking about McGuire or Conseco back in the day. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a weird thing if you think that you're for sure going to get away with it because people are 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 skirting the rules a little bit, you know. I, I don't know what what I would do if I was in that situation. I'd love to say I'd have integrity, and I guess it would have to be on a case by case basis. But you know, uh, maybe just turning a blind eye and, and recognizing, you know, what the the greater good here. There's a lot of guys on this team that are benefiting from this that are good people. So you know, I don't know how I would handle it. So I think if you don't think that there's a a player. On every team that you've ever watched for the White Sox, and probably even on the 05 team, there's there's players on every team that are doing something to get by, whether it's you know some supplements or you know stealing signs or whatever whatever they're doing. There's there's you know you're talking about guys on a 40 man roster, 40 guys, someone's doing something outside of the rules. On and they're 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 living in that 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 gray area uh, of the rules, and you know it, it just it happens with every team in every sport. Uh, I guess the only question is how bad uh, and and how much do you want to accept it, I think. Are we in agreement there that guys are cheating their ass off at any given opportunity? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, to just to get to the majors and then yeah. to excel at and the And to majors, stay there. Stay there, yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, that, yeah. That, that's kind of how I feel about it. You know, I, I'm not going to judge Tony La Russa for something that Jose Canseco did and Mark McGuire did because you know, it, it's it's a weird thing, right? You know, I guess we have to. It's sort of what we feel comfortable with, you know, um, and, and you hope there's certainly no one on this current White Sox team cheating. We know uh, Trevor Bauer was going out there with a doctored up baseball to to explain uh, spin rate, right? You know, but that was for a greater good type of situation. So, you know, they, they can't all be that clear cut morally. But uh, but you, but you hope that your team is standing there with the trophy at the end of the year, and and you leave no doubt, you know, and and you you have no questions about anyone on that team. That that's what you hope for. So, uh, thanks for the question, uh, uh, Nick. We appreciate the well thought out email. Uh, but now I think it would be a good time to to wrap it up here. We've got a lot of good emails left still remaining on the table here for Talk to Us Tuesday. Uh, so how can they get a hold of us for next week's mailbag Monday, Herbie? Locked on socks at gmail.com. Email us at locked on socks at gmail.com with your questions or comments, whatever you want to write us, locked on socks at gmail.com. So uh, for Chris Tannehill, follow him on Twitter at Chris Tannehill. Me, Herb Lawrence, is at Ecknowall23 on Twitter, and the show is at locked on socks on Instagram and on Twitter. So thank you for listening to this latest episode of Mailbag Monday on Locked on Socks.